0: church, if you brought a Bible, open it to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. If you are new to church or new to your Bible, it is a book in the New Testament, and the best advice I can give you is to use your table of contents. It's there for a reason. It's a short book written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, and it has, I believe, been seriously used by God in the last nine months. To encourage my heart, at least, if nobody else, but based on what I've heard, the Lord has used this letter to encourage you. To encourage you, so hold your Bible op- open to Ephesians six, and we'll read from it shortly. I presume all of you, most of you already are aware of this, uh, but in case you're not, this past uh, Tuesday, Keith Lamont Scott was fatally shot by a police officer in Charlotte, North Carolina. The next two nights of protest prompted the governor of North Carolina to declare a state of emergency. And you also, I presume, know that Charlotte is not alone. Similar scenes have played out in cities across this country um, over the last couple of years. And quite frankly, we would be naive if we didn't acknowledge that Richmond could be next could be next The headlines in Charlotte could be the headlines here. And I think that the factors driving both peaceful protest and, in some cases, widespread violence are complex and cannot be reduced to simple answers and tidy soundbites. So if you hear either one of those things, you should be skeptical. We need God's help to avoid premature judgments and hasty conclusions. And our heart cry should be, Lord, would truth be known and would justice prevail on earth as it does in heaven? Friends, I believe there's another emotion that should flood our hearts alongside a hunger for truth and a desire for justice. And that is a deep sorrow, a deep sorrow for the effects of our sin. Because the Bible tells us that the scourge of both racial injustice and violence against law enforcement have a common root. The sinful heart of man. Failing to treat a man or a woman with the dignity they deserve as an image bearer of God, simply because the color of their skin is different than the color of your skin, isn't merely a racial issue, it's a sin issue. Sending your husband to work in his squad car wondering if he'll come back alive isn't just a police problem, it's a sin problem. we made this mess we made it we've rebelled against God's authority we have failed to conform our lives to his moral law and act and attitude and nature and our sin separates us from God separates us from God and our sin separates us from one another that's what it does And so as I consider the question, do we need, do we need racial reconciliation in this country? I answer with an abundant yes. Yes, we do. But I would argue, church, from the word of God, that we will never experience racial reconciliation apart from a heart transformation. I'm going to do some arguing for that. We'll never know enduring unity among men until we deal with our separation from God. Because it's it's that separation, that alienation first and foremost that, that keeps us from experiencing on this human level the enduring unity that we long for. And this morning we're going to conclude our six, well actually more like now nine month, study of the book of Ephesians and if the Lord's taught us one thing from these six chapters, it's, it's this that we have an answer for the disunity and division in our community and his name is Jesus. We have an answer. It's Jesus who reconciles sinners like us, to God. And it's Jesus who in so doing that reconciles sinners like us to one another. So we have an answer, the answer, to the division and disunity in our community and in our country and in our world, and his name is Jesus. And it's Jesus, Paul's argued over and over again in Ephesians, that God is using to unite all things in him. God's up to that. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. What's his purpose? Which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. God's not just chilling in heaven. He's on a mission in the world to unite all things in Christ, and he's getting that done in two ways. He's reconciling us to God and to one another in Christ, and then he's equipping and commissioning us to declare that good news, that reconciling power, to the world. So think of it this way. Unity in Christ is the foundation of the church, and unity in Christ is the mission of the church. If you want to understand our foundation, you have to look no further than unity in Christ. And if you want to understand our mission, you have to look no further than unity in Christ. Unity in Christ is the foundation of the church, and it's the mission of the church. Our calling is to display the unity God has created in Jesus. And this morning, we're going to consider what the last four verses in this book have to say about that theme. The theme of of unity. And I I think that the conclusions the letters like this are the parts of an epistle, the parts of the Bible, that, quite frankly, even for me, they're just really easy to overlook. You know, you kind of get through the bulk of it, and then you get to the, you know, and I sent so-and-so and so-and-so, and send my love, and it's like, okay, 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 okay. Next book! You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen Ephesians 6, 21 to 24, on a Bible memory card. And when I looked at it this week, I thought, Lord, um... Maybe we'll just jump to Daniel. You know what? What, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? Well, I, I believe that if we're willing to slow down, which is our perpetual problem in reading scripture, slow down and listen to what God has to say, that we're going to see Paul does something really helpful. He, he takes this general theme of unity and he charges us to pursue it on three fronts. It's this summary conclusion to the letter. It's almost like if you're watching a fireworks display, it's when they all go off. You know, the grand finale. But, but it doesn't necessarily read like that unless we slow down and think about it. But that's, that's essentially what Paul's doing here. Pursue unity with other churches. Pursue unity with our brothers. And pursue unity in Christ. Three fronts. With other churches, with the brothers, and with Christ. So listen to Ephesians 6, 21. So that you may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He ends by charging us to pursue unity on three fronts. And the first is unity with other churches. Unity with other churches, verses 21 to 22. I think it's striking that Paul isn't content with the Ephesians simply doing what he's told them to do for the last six chapters right now as a wise pastor Paul doesn't hesitate to speak strongly to people he sure doesn't makes him a wise pastor all right Paul doesn't say hey would you mind prayerfully considering the possibility of thinking about being a little nicer to your neighbor no what does he say Ephesians 5 2 walk in love Command. Walk in love as Christ loved us. He doesn't hesitate to give us clear commands. And yet, in these verses, we see that he's not just content with the Ephesians following orders. He wants them to do what he's told them to do, but but he also wants something else. He wants them to be informed of the personal circumstances of his life and ministry. He, He wants them to be informed about how he's doing i I want you to know verse 21 how i am and what i'm doing and since by the way he's writing this stuck in a prison in rome and he can't travel to ephesus to tell them how he's doing and what he's doing he sends a guy named tychicus a fellow worker to pass on that information now now why does paul do that Think about this. Why does Paul place such a great value on the Ephesians, not just knowing how to live, but how he's personally doing and how the other Christians in the church in Rome are doing? I want you to know how I am and what I'm doing. And then he expands it, verse 22. I want you to know how we are. So it's bigger than just Paul. Well, I don't think it's just because, well, Paul's a nice guy and he wants to be friendly. I imagine he was, or that he wants people to feel sorry for him, okay? To the contrary, Paul expresses a strong desire for the Ephesians to know how he's personally doing and how the other Christians in Rome are personally doing because he doesn't conceive of the church as a pile of independent, isolated congregations. Paul's vision for the church and the vision God presents over and over again, friends, in the book of Acts is a vision of local churches that are united in partnership with one another. Okay, they're, not, they're not isolated, they're not independent, they're interdependent, they're united. And that, that interdependent relationship all throughout the New Testament is expressed in things like mutual care, shared resources, cooperation in government, all for the sake of a common mission a shared mission, planting and building local churches with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so Paul wants the Ephesians to be informed about how he's doing and how the church in Rome is doing because he knows that our unity in Christ, please hear this, is designed to have a strong, extra-local expression to it. A strong, extra-local expression. So often when we think of unity, we start with us and our little church, Paul doesn't do that. He starts with Christ and then immediately points to unity among the churches. Kingsway, it's a good thing that we are not an isolated, independent church. Now, please hear me on this. Every denomination has all sorts of strengths and weaknesses. And I don't pretend for a moment that Sovereign Grace Church is the denomination that we're a part of, is magically all strengths and no weaknesses. (laughs) I don't, okay? I would actually argue that after a couple decades of fairly smooth sailing since it was started in the 70s, 80s, the last couple years, God's really been on the move helping us see where we've needed to give some significant attention to how we work together as a denomination and to our leadership culture in local churches, okay? By the way, that doesn't freak me out because that means God is caring for us and helping us. And there are times along the way when you hit denominational bumps or have denominational collisions, (laughs) when voices that I deeply love, I really do, have argued with me that we would be better off as a completely independent church. I respectfully disagree. I respectfully disagree because I'm convinced from Scripture, including passages like Ephesians 6, that that God's desire to unite all things in Christ includes a desire for local churches to be vitally united with other local churches. And and I'm not just talking about about moral support. You know, unity among churches is very trendy right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, I think your church is cool, you think my church is cool, let's be pen pals and make a cool website. I'm not talking about that. All right? I'm talking about a relational partnership where we not only care about how other churches and pastors in our denomination are doing, but, but where we, as an individual church, bear significant responsibility for the welfare of the whole. Okay, so I, I just want to give you some very practical examples of how, like the Ephesians, I think we can do that. And as King's Way, we can pursue unity with other churches. Okay, just a, a list of practical examples, all right? Here we go. When we watch quarterly mission videos highlighting God's work in sovereign grace churches around the world, don't stop praying for that church or churches on that Sunday. Okay, keep praying for them, and we're subscribed to the Sovereign Grace blog so you can get more regular updates. All right, download, here's an idea, download the newsletters that the missionaries we support as a local church post on our member site. Take, take note of their prayer request and ask God to work in places like Namibia, Bolivia, and Thailand. Okay, when, when we take or receive a a denominational offering for our, our mission fund once a year, ask God how you can participate as an individual, as a family, in our global missions and regional church planting or, or in the pastor's college, how you can support those things in our denomination. You know, and when, when one of the elders brings before the church a, a need from another church like Chris did this morning, well, let's ask God how we can be generous toward them as he's been generous towards us. You know what, when Chris and I go, just more examples here, when Chris and I go to the annual Council of Elders meeting and the Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference next month, please pray for us. Please pray for us, all right? Pray that God would give me wisdom when in an assembly of quite a few pastors, I speak up and vote on a variety of denominational initiatives, budgets, and office holders. Okay, pray God would give me wisdom as I go on our behalf to administer ordination exams for men who are, who are desiring to enter ministry in our region. You know, pray, pray for Chris as he reconnects with pastors in, in the western part of the country where he used to serve on staff for many years, that he could encourage them. And, and when the other Sovereign Grace pastors come and preach at Kingsway, let's be really good about about chasing them down. There should be a line of people up front when they are done preaching, asking, how are you doing? How how are you doing? How is your church doing? It's just very practical things that we can do to pursue unity with other churches. And I would add, whenever you hear of God blessing, God blessing another gospel-preaching church, whether they are inside Sovereign Grace or outside of Sovereign Grace, do not be jealous. Okay? Give thanks. (laughs) Give thanks. This past week, I was sharing lunch with the local group of pastors that I meet with regularly, and Tim White, a pastor at Calvary Chapel Richmond, shared with all of us that in the last year, they have seen 17 people come to faith in Christ in their church. Now, what would happen in some circles? Praise God, brother. Man, I sure wish that all those people could be in my church. Why does the Lord never give me that sort of blessing? What do I have to do in order to get that kind of blessing? That's what would happen, right? But what did God help me do? I was so thankful for this. I just said, Tim, praise God, brother. Praise God. And then I prayed, we prayed as pastors, that God would bless Tim even more and give that church wisdom to know how to disciple all those new converts. There's something really good for our souls, brothers and sisters, when we hear of God doing work in another place outside of us that didn't involve us and may never involve us, and our first response is, Lord, thank you. Thank you. That attitude builds this kind of unity between churches that Paul's speaking of here. Okay, we we shouldn't just be open to relationship with like-minded churches. We should be pursuing unity with them particularly in our denomination because that's the pattern the lord lays out for us in the new testament and through the example of men like paul and tychicus okay and ultimately this is what makes our unity please hear this different than unity in the world what is you know the world looks at churches that are working together churches that are united they say oh that's great that's great i'm not even a christian i don't even believe in god but i think that's awesome why because unity is always awesome friends let's not be a church that pursues unity for unity's sake let's be a church that pursues unity for christ's sake because it's in our unity with other like-minded churches that the world sees just how great christ is and just how great the unity that he is building in all things actually is if we are isolated and independent the world's not going to see that so let's not do that let's not turn inward when we hit denominational bumps and difficulties let's continue to turn outward and pursue unity with other churches point one pursue unity with other churches okay that's the first front point two and here we'll return to a little bit more of where it began let's pursue unity with our brothers unity with other churches unity with our brothers all right look at verse 23 verse 23 paul goes for, transitions from this commendation of tychicus to a blessing to a desire declaration that peace would be given to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's he's giving voice here to two desires. Two desires Paul has, a desire for peace and a desire for love. Now, let's remember that Paul isn't writing Hallmark cards. He's not. We hear words like peace and love, peace and love, peace and love all the time, and they just lose any meaning. Or even worse, we start filling in our own meaning. Don't do that. All right, when Paul says, peace to the brothers, he's alerting the Ephesians, he's alerting us to a magnificent reality with which he opened the entire letter. Okay? This is like a bookend in Ephesians. So in Ephesians 1, 1 through 1-2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so what's going on? At the outset of this letter, he prays, God, would you pour out grace and peace on this church? And at the conclusion, he prays that God would bless them with peace and grace. All right, so let's just focus first on this desire Paul has for peace, desire for peace, how it relates to unity with the brothers, All right? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we need, friends, peace on two fronts. Very simply, we need peace with God, and we need peace with each other. And both of those gifts are only available to us through the gospel. Okay, so friend, if you desire peace with God, come to Christ, repent of your sin, and trust Jesus to save you. That's what you have to do. And when you receive the gift of peace with God through, through faith in Christ, you'll find that something else is happening. You've been united at the foot of the cross in a radically new way with men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation who, like you, are finding peace with God through Christ. And it's that peace, that, that peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ that Paul longs for the Ephesians to experience and pursue. So Ephesians 4 Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, there is a way of thinking and acting, church, that builds up and maintains the unity we have in Christ, And there's a way of thinking and acting that destroys and tears down the unity that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't just happen. We have a choice to make. How are we going to walk? If you want to maintain it, unity with the brothers, then you need to be humble. You need to be gentle. You need to be patient and forbearing. If you want to destroy it, well, all you have to do is be arrogant (laughs) Be harsh, be impatient, and refuse to overlook offenses. And Paul spends a lot of time in in chapters 4 to 6, we've seen this, helping us understand how to build up and maintain and not destroy our unity in Christ. And when he gets to the end of the book, he gives us, as it were, a key to all of it. A key to experiencing and pursuing enduring unity with brothers and sisters in Christ in the the local church what's the key peace be to the brothers and three words here love with faith love with faith all right if we are going to pursue and experience enduring unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this church then we've got to resolve to love the people seated next to us as an expression of faith in God that's really important okay so what do I mean by that what do I mean by that well, I mean that peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ is always a fruit of love, always a fruit of love, considering their interest more important than our own and laying down our lives accordingly, okay? The, the love that produces this peace with the brothers, this unity with the brothers, it's not abstract. Or this spiritual idea that floats above the pastor's head, okay? It's real, it's practical, it's it's tangible, all right? It looks like delivering a meal when someone's sick. Or a baby's born, or, or we know life's crazy. It, it it means scaling back our vacation plans or adjusting our budget so we can give $50 to somebody that's having trouble to pay their bills, or or $500 to somebody that can't make a house payment, okay? It looks like practical love, expressing grief and comfort when her child dies, or when his girlfriend says, we're done. Okay, it means chasing down a brother who hasn't come to church in a month, or or confronting a sister who's, who's living in an immoral relationship. Hey, this is the sort of love that produces peace in the church. Please hear this. It's not easy. It's not tidy. It's not convenient. It is a great big mess, and it is hard, and God gets glorified in it. But we'll only know peace. We'll only experience unity if we're willing to love. 1 John 3, by this we know love. Who are we following here, folks? That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Okay, friends, the Lord has already given us in Christ the ultimate definition of love by which every other form and expression of love is evaluated and judged. All right, that means if your, quote, love, my, quote, love, For the brothers and sisters in this room is not sacrificial. If it's on my timetable when it's easy for me and convenient for my pocketbook, that is not love. That's selfishness. Okay? So what do we do with the fact that all too often, all too often, it's easy to talk about loving people with our mouths, but actually be selfish with our time and possessions? What do we do with that? What do I do with the fact that that's in my heart? Okay, well, here's what what we have to do. We have to remember that the sort of genuine love that produces peace in the church only grows in the soil of great faith in God. The sort of love that produces real peace and unity in the church only grows in the soil of great faith in God. Remember verse 23, peace be to the brothers and love with faith. With faith, what's faith? What's at root an abiding confidence that God is who he says he is and God will not fail to do what he says he's gonna do. That's faith, that's all it is, all right? And by expressing his desire that the Ephesians would experience love with faith, he's reminding them and us that we can never practice genuine love with one another if our trust in God is weak. Our faith in God is weak. All right? So, so let me give you an illustration of what this relationship between faith and love and how they have to work together to produce peace with the brothers can look like. Okay, and here's where I'm going to refer back to what I mentioned earlier, this, this division and disunity that are racking our nation over issues of racial justice. Okay, so follow with me here. What does faith say? What does faith believe when it comes to issues of racial justice? Okay, faith believes God when he says that every expression of racism and racial tension is a result of sin. And when he says that racial reconciliation is possible, because Jesus himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. Okay, what does faith believe? Faith believes God when he says that every expression of sin and racial injustice is a result of the fall. It's due to our sin, all right? And faith believes God when he says that there is a solution to that and his name is Jesus. Faith also believes God when he says that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our little church in Midlothian, Virginia can show the world what it looks like to be a transcultural people who are united in Christ. And that we can do Peter tells us to do, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light in a way that would be impossible if we all looked the same. That's what faith believes. It believes those things, and that faith, that trust in God and his word produces what I will call attitudes of love and actions of love toward brothers and sisters whose skin color, cultural heritage, and life experiences are very different than our own. Attitudes of love and actions of love, all right? So, for example, love in our attitudes means that we don't pretend racial injustice isn't an issue simply because, perhaps, you've never experienced it personally, okay? That attitude of love is only possible through faith in God because it's faith in God that remembers that racism is a result of sin and that until sin is no more, we had better not pretend that somehow racism and racial injustice and those issues are are ever going to be no more. Okay, until sin completely goes away, we are always going to be wrestling on some level with racism and racial injustice. Faith believes that. And love in our actions means, for example, that we don't respond to the heart cry of Black Lives Matter by tweeting, all lives matter. But rather, by taking the initiative to start a conversation with a minority member of our church family and asking, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you, are you angry? Are you afraid? Was Ferguson hard for you? How is the situation in Charlotte affecting you? Friends, that sort of love is only possible through faith because faith believes that God has already given us in Christ all the promises that we need to minister comfort where there is fear, to bring hope where there is anger, and and to bring a confidence to plant seeds of hope that a day's coming when racism and racial injustice are going to be no more. We have that in Christ. And I would argue that we can do all those things whether or not we understand every detail of what happened in Ferguson or Charlotte. All right? So, if you're a white member of this church, and I am Plowing into sensitive territory right now, and I can feel it. But here we go, all right? If you're a white member of this church, I'm a white member of this church, okay? Initiating the kind of conversation that I've just described with a minority member of our church takes some serious courage and humility, but it's precisely the sort of faith inspired love that produces real peace with the brothers. This isn't about choosing between black people and men and women in uniform. It's not what I'm saying. It's about acknowledging that there's an issue, expressing love in light of the issue, and doing it all because our hearts are full of faith that as Christians, we have not only an understanding of the root of the issue, but a solution to the issue in Jesus. Okay? That should give us a faith that enables us to step out into difficult and awkward conversations, ask questions, learn, listen, share, wrestle, be challenged, all of those things, and not be quiet. Attitudes and actions of faith-filled love. I've just given one illustration of how I think that can play out when it comes to issues of racial justice that produce peace and maintain unity. Attitudes and actions of love. Church, this requires a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work, okay? We have to refuse to allow our laziness to create this kind of love that only serves people when it's convenient, and we have to refuse to allow ignorance or fear to produce some sort of love for the saints that avoids difficult issues. We have to refuse both those things, okay? And praise God we serve a Savior who is promised in his word, in Ephesians 6.23, That faith and love come where? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does the faith we need to demonstrate attitudes and actions of love in the face of difficult issues like racial injustice in a way that pursues peace and unity in this church? Where does that faith come from? It does not come from you. It doesn't. It comes from God. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So God's on a mission to unite all things in Christ. And he's called us to join him in that by pursuing unity with the brothers. And that will happen in this church as our trust in God grows, our faith in God grows, and we love people as a result. All right? John Calvin summarized it this way. He writes this. We are bound to be punished for our presumption if we think we have faith or love of ourselves. To the contrary, we can't have one single drop of spiritual gifts, but as they flow down upon us through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only channel of them. Friends, that should encourage your hearts that when a difficult issue hits our denomination or a difficult issue, hits our country, particularly with something really hard like racial tension that we don't have to hole up, cover our heads, and just hope it goes away. But we can pursue unity with other churches, we can pursue unity with the brothers by walking in attitudes of love and actions of love that flow from great faith in God. That is what we're being called to at the end of this book. Okay, unity with the churches Unity with the brothers. And lastly, unity with Christ. Unity with Christ. Look at verse 24. Verse 24. Paul reminds us here that unity with other churches and unity with the brothers is impossible, impossible, apart from union with Christ. Okay, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. I think a person's last words are often their most significant words. Okay, Not always, but in many cases they are. And, and Paul closes this book by reminding us that we're never going to know peace with God or peace with our fellow man unless God is gracious towards us. That's critical okay? Grace and peace aren't aren't isolated prayer requests that flow out of this generic Christianese basket, okay? They're related. It's the grace of God that produces peace with God, and it's peace with God and the faith and love flowing from that that produce peace with men. That's what Paul's saying, all right? So what does that mean? That means that God's grace, God's unmerited favor in Christ is the headwaters of of every other spiritual blessing it's the fountain that they all flow from okay so absent grace none of the other blessings i've talked about this morning would be possible so how do we come church to be amazed by the grace of god and aware of the grace of god well the answer is in verse 24 all right we have to exchange loving the world for loving jesus loving the world for loving Jesus, okay? Only those who choose to love the Savior, the pearl of great price, will be aware of God's grace, amazed by God's grace, and able to walk in the faith and love that are only possible when you're aware of God's grace and amazed by God's grace, okay? So, so let me try to give an illustration of all this because there's a lot of things Paul's trying to connect here, okay? How many of you have seen the direct TV commercials that are trying to convince you to not pay for cable, just so I know. Oh, good. Okay, this will work, hopefully. All right? So in case you're not familiar with them, um, they're the ones that warn you about all the bad things that will happen if you pay for cable TV. All right? So, So things like if you pay for cable TV, you'll eventually end up taking in stray animals, watching your house blow up, or selling your hair at a wig shop. All right, things like that. Okay, now, in case you haven't seen these commercials, all they are doing is making a long series of if-then connections. If this, then this. If this, then this. All right, and, and some of these connections are a little ridiculous, but they're built on a true assumption. Namely, actions have consequences. That's, that's all they're saying, okay? That's true in the physical world. That's also true in the spiritual world. Actions have consequences. So, if I were gonna summarize all the if-then connections between verses 23 and 24, it would go something like this, okay? Just to try to put all this together. When we love God, we are aware of his grace and amazed by his grace. When we are aware of his grace and amazed by his grace, it's not hard to trust him. When we trust him, we are free to love people with sacrificial abandon. And when we love one another with sacrificial abandon, we experience the peace of unity in Christ. Don't fail to experience the peace of unity in Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what Paul's saying here, okay? That, that's what an incorruptible or undying love looks like. It doesn't waver doesn't fade it doesn't start strong and and finish weak it persists it endures it's not satisfied with anything else but jesus kings god is on a mission to unite all things in christ and if we're going to enjoy that unity and display that unity it's going to have to start with all of us loving jesus That's where he ends. All this unity that God is working to create in Christ and that he calls us to pursue with Christ, with with other churches, with the brothers, all of that happens if we're willing to turn away from loving the world and toward, to the pearl of great price and make him our treasure. That's how that happens. That's how we experience unity with God and unity with God with one another. Friends, as we wrap up this book, I'm all too aware that even in some of my illustrations today, that I have touched on topics that beg for more conversation and more discussion. Nothing that I have shared either by way of challenge to denominational unity or a perspective on how to respond to some of the racial tensions in our community. Nothing that I've shared today is meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to illustrate. It's meant to provoke. It's meant to challenge. Because that is what Paul does for us here. He challenges us to be a people, a church, that in light of the unity God is pursuing in Christ is dead set and committed to seeing it built here, to seeing it built with other churches, and to seeing it displayed in the world. That's the message of Ephesians. God is on a mission to unite all things in Christ, and he invites us to be a part of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that because of Jesus, the unity that we long for on every front of our life and every side in our country, is not a vain wish, but rather a sure hope. Father, I pray this morning that wherever my friends, my brothers and sisters here, are acutely aware of places in their family, in their church, in this country, where instead of unity we confront division, and strife, and injustice. Lord, I pray that this morning you would plant seeds of real hope in Christ. Lord, it's only you who can fix and heal and mend and destroy broken marriages. Lord, it's only you who can fix and heal and destroy Lord, every vestige of injustice in this land. And Lord, it's only you who can give us the kind of faith in you and trust in you that we so need to keep on loving, even when it's really hard. Lord, we pray that you would build that here. We pray you would fill us with faith that we might grow in love and fight for peace. And Lord, we thank you for the confidence we have that because of Jesus, you're going to get us home and one day make all things new and that for all eternity unity won't be something we are chasing after but something we delight in knowing in fullness because of you i thank you for that today lord in your precious name amen